Hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul, and I've been coming to Revolution since the fall of 2014. I have a wife. Her name is Sarah. She's not the Sarah who leads worship every Sunday, but she's the Sarah with red hair who checked in your kids for early service back when we were meeting at Germantown Elementary School. We're actually in her room right now. This is her at-home classroom where she's been teaching since August, along with all the other teachers out there. Um, I've also been on Revolution speaking team for a little over a year now. And I'm speaking today because our incredible pastor, Kenny Camacho, has COVID. He's getting better, but he's, he's still dealing with some fatigue and such. And a couple of weeks ago, he reached out to the preaching team and asked if anyone would be willing to speak this Sunday. So I volunteered. Now, before you shower me, before you shower me with praise, um, let me just give you a little more of the story. Kenny emailed the preaching team members asking about speaking on Hebrews chapter eight. And so the first thing I did before I committed to it was actually read Hebrews chapter eight. So let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter eight, starting with verse one. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So this one, too, had to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. The place where they serve is a sketch and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, See that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. But now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. All right, so let's stop right there. After reading the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 8, I sent Kenny a text telling him I was willing to speak this Sunday, but quote, if someone else says they can do it, I would defer to them, end quote. Which was really me saying, I hope and pray to heaven. Kenny finds someone else to do this? Because when I read Hebrews chapter 8, I have no idea what this writer is talking about. I, I had no clue. How was I going to be able to speak on Hebrews chapter 8 when I couldn't understand a sentence of it? But after going over this chapter again and again, pouring over various Bible translations, notes, and Bible project videos, I finally came up with something that I hope is worthwhile for you to remember. And it's this, timing is everything. Timing is everything. Before I explain what that means for Hebrews chapter eight, let's remind ourselves why we're in Hebrews in the first place. The title of this current series is Overall. The series was named this because the writer of Hebrews, whether he was Paul, Apollos, or she was Priscilla, wanted to show Jewish Christians who were possibly tempted to walk away from their faith that a new covenant in Jesus was superior to the old covenant 
established through Moses. Therefore, abandoning the new covenant in Christ in order to return to the old was a gigantic mistake. We're not bringing this up so we can take a shot at our Jewish friends. Rather, it's to show that the old, that the old covenant actually directs us to the new. So, for example, last week, Kenny talked about the high priests of the Old Testament and how they pointed to the superior high priest we have in Jesus. And if you missed last week's message, by all means, please check it out at uh, revolutionannapolis.com. But before we look deeper into this superior covenant, we have to ask a really basic question. What's the deal with covenants in the first place? Honestly, when I think of covenants, I think of the Ark of the Covenants, which means I think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think about Indiana Jones. And even though I grew up in church and I've heard the word covenant used over and over again, and I kind of knew what it meant, honestly, I couldn't give you a coherent definition of the word covenants until a few days ago. According to a video produced by The Bible Project, uh, in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange, asks the other participant in the covenant to fulfill certain commitments. In other words, a covenant is a partnership between God and the people based on two conditions. One, a promise, and two, a commitment in response to that promise. So the first example of a covenant we're going to discuss today is the one made after God rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This is when the Old Covenant, as it's called in the book of Hebrews, was entered into. So let's break this covenant down. Remember, a covenant is defined by its promise and the commitment made in response to that promise. Let's go to Exodus 19 and find out what God has to say to Moses. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses came and summoned the elders of Israel. He set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him, and all the people answered together, All that the Lord has commanded we will do. So Moses brought the words of the people back to the Lord. So what are the two conditions of this covenant? God's promise. He will make Israel into a holy nation that stands above every other nation in the world. Israel's commitment the people will follow the Lord's commands and serve no other God but Him. And there we have it, the partnership between the Lord and Israel, with Moses as the go-between. This is the Old Covenant. And the high priests Kenny talked about last week were working under this Old Covenant. But as Kenny also explained, Jesus, the superior high priest, is working under a new superior covenant or partnership. So let's return to Hebrews chapter 8 and find out about this new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will establish with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their minds, and I will inscribe them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And there will be no need at all for each one to teach his countrymen, or each one to teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, since they will all know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their evil deeds, and their sins I will remember no longer. As with the old covenant, there is a promise and a commitment. And God's promise in this new covenant is actually four uh, promises rolled up into one. First, the Israelites would know and desire to do God's will. The Israelites would no longer be following commands written on tablets, but would be inwardly transformed in such a way that God's commands would be written on their hearts. In other words, they would become a people who would naturally want to do what God wants them to do. Two, they would enjoy a unique relationship with God. Three, they would know God directly. Under the new covenant, all people, no matter how much money they made, whether they were priests, trained by rabbis, or suffered from physical disabilities, everyone who joins this partnership with God will have intimate and personal knowledge of God. Now to go off on a tangent here, it would be really interesting if you were to do a word study on the noun knowledge or the verb to know and those Hebrew and Greek words used for those English words in the Bible. I think one could actually find that kind of study quite rewarding. And four, this is the fourth promise of, of God in this new covenant. Their sins will be permanently forgiven. Their sins would be permanently forgiven. <clears throat> forgiven excuse me. As Kenny will talk about next week with the superior sacrifice, the need for sacrificing animals in the temple or tabernacle will no longer be required for forgiveness of sin. But God will completely eradicate the sins of his covenant partners once and for all. And that's it. That's the new covenant. But if I've done my part here and explained properly what a covenant is, you may have noticed that something is missing. We've got God's promise that you can know him, that your sins will be permanently forgiven. But what about the commitment? Where's the commitment from the people entering into this partnership from God? The answer to this question is what makes the new covenant the superior covenant. And the Cultural Background Study Bible explains the superiority of this new covenant like this. An unconditional divine promise to unfaithful Israel to forgive the people's sins and establish his relationship with his people on a new basis by writing his law on their hearts, a covenant of pure grace. Hebrews chapter 8 proclaims this new covenant as superior to the old because there is no commitment required from the people to enter into this partnership with God. There is no catch, there is no asterisk, there is no fine print, there is no rapid description of the many ways this medication can kill you. 
God's promise in the new superior covenant is an unconditional gift from him. God will not take his promise away even when the Israelites falter in their loyalty to him. Earlier in this message, I said that the main takeaway for all of you watching is that you will know that timing is everything. So now it's time to explain what I mean by that. While we don't know who wrote Hebrews, from my rudimentary layperson research, I found that Bible scholars seem certain Hebrews was written in the 60s AD, or CE if you preferred. And just like the 1960s and 1860s were troubled times for the United States, times of civil war, uh, the Vietnam War, the assassination of prominent Americans like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy, the original 60s were troubled times for Christians. Both Peter and Paul may have been executed in the 60s AD or CE. The Emperor Nero unleashed brutal uh, persecution against Christians. And it was this time of persecution that might explain why the writer of Hebrews was compelled to write this book, to convince those weakened, terrified by this time of persecution not to give up on Jesus. What we do know for sure about the 60s AD is that a war broke out between the Jews still in Judea and the Romans. And this war ended with the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem. So those Jewish Christians wanting to return to their previous Jewish faith would have returned to a very different faith where high priests would no longer be able to carry out the requirements of the old covenant because the dwelling place of God here on earth, the physical center of that old covenant, which stood for nearly 600 years, was gone. So the writer of Hebrews was quite right when he or she ended chapter 8 with this sentence. Now what is growing obsolete and aging is about to disappear. But even more can be said about the timing of the new superior covenant. The conditions of the new covenant in Hebrews 8 were actually taken from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, specifically chapter 31. And during this time of the prophet Jeremiah, half the kingdom of Israel was gone, eradicated by the Assyrian Empire. And the second half, was about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And once the Babylonians were done invading Judea, breaking through the walls of Jerusalem, and, and destroying that city, the first temple dedicated to God, again, God's physical dwelling place on earth was destroyed. This was Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. So to recap, we have the timing of Jeremiah 31, announcing the existence of a new covenant right before the physical center of the old covenant was about to be destroyed. Next, we have the timing of Hebrews, 
announcing the superiority of the new covenant right before the physical center of the old covenant was about to be destroyed again. But there is yet a third place in the Bible we must look to when discussing the timing of the new covenant. Luke chapter 22, when Jesus and his disciples celebrated Passover. Now when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So as Jesus was introducing the act of communion to his disciples, he announced the arrival of this new covenant, an announcement that took place right before Jesus died on the cross, which quite possibly was the most sadistic form of execution ever created by man. This new covenant was backed up with the blood of God himself that was shed in a violent death. So while the old covenant was based on the promise of Israel's worldly prominence, the new covenant was based on God's devotion to us even during the worst of times, including God's own suffering. And I can't help but think about the timing of this message, because it has now been 51 Sundays since we met together as a church at Germantown Elementary. 51 Sundays since members of the guest experience team distributed coffee. 51 Sundays since Adam played intro music as Kenny stood up to give the sermon. 51 Sundays since Lauren, Sarah, Roy, Kathy, Amanda, and Fred put bread in the hands of those of us receiving communion. The lack of these human interactions over this past year have been mentally and emotionally brutal for some of us. And even for someone like myself, who is a shy, introverted person who, who definitely does not mind being uh, away from people, even for me, I can struggle with this kind of isolation. But when we do struggle, we can remember that timing is everything. During the lowest point in biblical history, God reminded us that we have a deal with him, a partnership, a partnership based on a promise God won't break despite our faults. And as we encounter low points, maybe if we give God the chance to encourage us, 
we can better get through them by dwelling on his superior covenant. Our theme this year for revolution is hope. And this hope we're talking about isn't hope like, I hope I win the lottery, or I hope my kids get a, an athletic scholarship to a prominent university. This hope is rooted in the reality of the new covenant. A hope that is ours if only we believe in God's promises and follow him.